Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I am Jim Galante. He is Thomas Frank Carr. T. Frank, it's supposed to be May. What's with this crappy weather? Yeah, I don't pretend to uh, predict the weather based on seasons anymore. I don't think that that's applicable. We we just get what we get anymore, and it's going to be weirder and wackier the longer we go into uh, you know our new global weather systems. So hopefully it's somewhat normal, but you know you never know. Well, there you are in a flannel shirt. I'm in a sweatshirt. It doesn't feel like May, but it is, which means. We've got to talk about Penn State recruiting. We got to talk about Penn Staters in the NFL draft. Let's start with recruiting. Let's get to the Wisconsin connection, T. Frank, another Wisconsin player, Corey Smith, four star running back, uh, second running back in this class. Again, the two running backs, a four star, very good player. What's T. Frank's take on Corey Smith? I like Corey. A lot. I think he's very talented. Um, the the I'll start with the negatives because it's really the only one I can find is that size is not really his strength. So he's maybe 5'11", 174 pounds. And when he runs into the line scrimmage and he doesn't have a hole, he doesn't make a hole. Uh, you know, it's kind of dead on contact at times. Uh, that is normal for a lot of running backs, even big guys. But you just I guess you don't see that surge when he hits the line of scrimmage where his force creates movement. Um, other than that, he is dynamic. So his ability to create missed tackles is beyond just his speed and his elusiveness. It's a skill like he he has learned how to manipulate angles and body momentum and things like that to create broken tackles and to gain extra yards. And one of the things I like the most about him is he doesn't lose speed when doing that. So he continues a good momentum. And when he does break a tackle, he can quickly accelerate and then run away. <laughs> a lot of guys, they'll break a tackle. They'll do something great right in the short to intermediate area afterwards, but it takes them time to get back up to speed, which is reasonable for most humans. But football is not for most humans. Uh, and he has the this knack of running away from guys after breaking tackles and, and breaking a consecutive chain of them as well. That's the part, I guess, where I, I, mean, I question, can he do that at Penn State? You know, like it, one level of high school football versus college football is very different. So um, I think he's going to be very elusive at Penn State. The question is, can he be this dynamic player that we see on the football field? And 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 it comes back again to what we said to start with his kind of the negatives is, um, does he will his strength and his power match the level enough that he can continue to be great? And I, I generally think he can. Like, I think he can get stronger. He's got great contact balance and core strength. So those things can improve. So, you know, I don't think he's going to be 174 pounds at the next level. I think he's going to be closer to 200, but he just won't have the complete profile as a runner. And, and, and truthfully, it doesn't really concern me because he brings so many other good qualities to the table. What's interesting to me, and we know that Penn State is pretty good on putting the weight on the player, improving his strength. But he does seem to be a little different style than what we've been seeing for the traditional Penn State running back. 
bigger, stronger. And even as much as people will say, describe the differences between Catron Allen and Nick Singleton, they're both pretty big, strong kids. And Corey Smith seems to profile a bit differently. Is this a bit of a change in what they're looking for? Is it because they already have some of the other running backs who fit the other profile that this is just adding a different style? Or is it just plain, he's that good. You t- you take, when a running back is this good, you take him. Yeah, it's that last part. It's he's that good and he was very interested in Penn State. So I, I think that, you know, there's a general idea of what you want at running back and that's everything. You want everything in a running back. But uh, I do think it's interesting because if you fold in Quentin Martin and we look at his skills as a running back, one of the things I said about him was, I don't know that he's great through contact. I don't know that he has great contact power and balance at the moment, but he's a bigger guy, right? He's almost six foot two. So you project eventually that he'll gain the muscle mass and and the, the strength in his lower body necessary to complement a guy like Corey Smith. But what the one thing that both of them have in common is that they're both really good receivers. And I'm interested because you look at some of the guys they brought in last class with London Montgomery and uh, Cam Wallace. London, I've seen highlights of him catching, and it's really good. I haven't seen a lot of it on the football field. You know, in film, it's been more in camps and things like that. Uh, and, and Wallace was a guy that did literally everything. Safety, cornerback, running back, receiver, uh, all of everything. So maybe there is a shift to a more well-rounded running back. That might be something we can have a conversation about. But at the end of the day, I think that it's the best player that they can get and the guy that has a unique enough skill set that he can contribute on the football field in multiple ways. Um, That, I think, is very important. And I've said this before. I think of Mike Yursich as seeing what tools he has and then making the offense work with those guys with those tools. What makes me say that is last year when we saw three tight ends and two running backs on the field at the same time. Why? Because you had two really good running backs and three really good tight ends, and you made use of that. So that's what I see that Yersich, give me talent and and I'll make use of it. Uh, I want to shift gears a little bit, but still stay with the Wisconsin recruit and Corey Smith. He is the third Wisconsin recruit commit now, along with offensive lineman Donovan Harbor and Garrett Sexton, um, along with Corey Smith. They are three of the four highest ranked Wisconsin players. And some of the conversation, T. Frank, is that Wisconsin hasn't offered these guys or they're not at the top of their board. I wanted to ask you a bit about that. How much of this is different strokes for different folks? Just Uh, coaches are looking for different things is that the case going on here or is it Luke Fickle just coming in at Wisconsin maybe hasn't established the relationships yet or is it just a little bit of the sour grapes you know we hear this all the time from a specific fan base if the kid doesn't commit to my school we didn't want him anyway it's hard to tell because I don't cover Wisconsin football. And, and those are some pretty deep details. And that's, that's not a cop out. That's like, that's something that it, you, it takes time to understand. Like kind of like the Mike Yersich thing of what happened last year when we talk about the offense and how it was a little bit disjointed and felt like two things bolted together at the beginning of the season. Well, as we learned, once we saw it at its full strength, 
they had a lot and they put a lot into two tight end packages. What does Fickle want to do in the state? And this is something that that my my coworkers on our our live show we've talked about a little bit about why it is curious. Like it is curious. And I would say in modern football, information is king. And information means 40 times height, arm length, measurables to understand what are you getting in the football player. The, the let's take let's take these guys individually for a second. So Donovan Harbor was a high four-star offensive guard in 2022. He put on a little bit of bad weight this past year and did not play to the same level of athleticism and movement skills. Luke Fickle comes in. Does he want to see some of that stuff in person? Does he want to get the measurables? Does he want to do some testing? That takes a little bit of time. And if you delay an offer, it allows a team like Penn State that has this engine running for a decade now to swoop in and create a good first impression. Um, here's another example. Corey Smith is pretty is pretty much what he is. And that would be the one where you should probably have a pretty quick turnaround on him. And it didn't seem to matter. But Garrett Sexton, on the other hand, was a quarterback that turned into an offensive tackle. And I talked to him this weekend. He did that like the weeks before camp last fall. So he is very new to the position. He is very, very, very new to the position, very raw. And again, you, if you're if you're a coach that wants to get a little bit of information and you want to understand the players a little bit better and get the lay of the land, be a little more cautious with your offers, then you won't offer guys that have these kind of quasi question marks around them right away until you get them on your campus and get that information. And it was just too late because Penn State attacked. They identified and then they made great relationships and got these guys onto campus. So, you know, Fickle and his staff probably had as much time as Penn State after the season, but they had more work to do um, because they're a new staff. And Penn State had all of this stuff in place where they could go identify and, and recruit. So it's it's the individual player, what they want to do and the situation. But when it comes to did Wisconsin not want these guys, I, I don't know. Sexton does not fit the profile of a Wisconsin lineman just yet, but he could, you know, he could be 280 pounds at some point in the near future. And they might just not either. There was a lag time or they decided not to. And that's where you don't really know. But with given the situation, um, it seems like they're a cautious group that wants to get the information, wants to make good, smart decisions. Cincinnati, um, they found a lot of really good talent. So I don't think it's evaluation or recruiting. I think it's a, a time element here, and Penn State was able to take advantage of that. So, of course, T. Frank, you give me a very complete, very good, very nuanced answer when the fan base just wants black or white. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and yeah, and it's also total speculation because I said I don't actually know <laughs> the uh, the. I, I'm the king of context clues. You know, like okay, here's a couple things I know. Let's extrapolate and find out what the answer might be. But in the end, like, I, I, I don't really know. But yeah, it's not a black and white issue because recruiting never will be. It's always, I mean, you've met teenagers. Things are very, very up in the air, individual and individualistic. There's nothing ever that's really black or white about decision making at that age. And again, it's not a case where it's a wishy-washy answer. I do believe it's nuanced, and I think it's a little bit from column A, a little bit column B, a little bit column C. It sounded like none of these three players grew up a Badgers fan, so there's not that connection. 
you have a new coaching staff with Lou Fickle coming, Luke Fickle coming in. So they have time constraints. And it does seem like the players, I don't want to call them flawed, but there are things, you know, you look at a Garrett Sexton who's new to the position. Yes, he's 6'7", but some places list him at only 245. So you've got to kind of get through that and say, yeah. what can he become as opposed to what he is right now? He told me he played even lighter than 245 last year. So, I mean, he converted a quarterback in the summer. He was not lifting to be an offensive lineman last year. Anyway, I think we could be pretty confident, though, with the Penn State staff, with their recruiting skills. And it you can say that, and it could still also be true, that you can't fault Luke Fickle and his staff either. All right, T. Frank, that's it for the college front. Let's turn to the NFL and the Penn State players. I'm going to be asking you how they fit in with their particular NFL teams next. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new Coffee Barbecue Dry Rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. It's quarter number two on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number two. I'm Jim Galante. He is T. Frank Carr. T. Frank, we're going to shift our focus now to the NFL draft. I know Dustin and I talked a bit about it um, on Monday's show, but I love getting your take on this because I know you work on college football, but I also know you're an NFL football fan. So I love how you're able to translate between the two modes. And there were just so many surprises with this NFL draft. By surprises, I mean, Players were taken higher that were supposed to be taken lower and vice versa. And we saw a lot of that with the Penn State players. Almost every one of them, I think, was a bit of a surprise where they were taken. And I am going to start with Sean Clifford, our favorite topic hey. here. The favorite debate, and it's, it's actually funny to me 
we spent the last couple of years hearing about Will Levis, hearing about Sean Clifford, and comparing the two. And it's still going on based on where each was drafted. And it's still going to go on if they have any kind of NFL careers. You know they're going to be constantly compared by Penn State fans. But let's let's start with Sean Clifford, who I think it was very surprising to a lot of people that he was, first of all, that he was drafted, that he was drafted mm-hmm. in the fifth round. Nobody expected that. Um, how how does he fit at Green Bay? How did that decision come about? Were you surprised by it? Uh, I'll start with that last one. Uh, yes, I was surprised by the fifth round. And, and this is a conversation we can have about the draft class overall. This is something that came out, you know, by NFL experts. And if you're watching the draft, you probably heard this explanation. So the idea is Brock Purdy last year taking over for the 49ers as Mr. Irrelevant, the final pick in the draft after all the injuries at the quarterback position for the 49ers, and they go on a winning streak, and they get to the playoffs with a seventh rounder. So the specter of Tom Brady is always in the back of everybody's mind. Everyone wants to get the extreme value on the quarterback late in the draft. So that pushed all these guys up, like Aiden O'Connell going in the fourth round, and a lot of other quarterbacks that you would think these are fifth, sixth round guys. All of a sudden, you think the mental side of the game, the maybe the lack of physical tools, but the intangible parts of being a quarterback you're going to capitalize on those by putting them in great systems and situations and for Clifford there might not be a better system or situation than Green Bay uh, because what this offense does and I'll I'll back up quickly just to explain the NFL has been proliferated with uh, Kyle Shanahan style offenses not his dad Mike Kyle the 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 son has now taken over as the preeminent coordinator in the NFL now there are offshoots from Mike Shanahan still around um we've talked about this before Sean McVay Kyle Shanahan they're all from the same system in Washington with Robert Griffin III um but what this offense in Green Bay does is it makes it easy for the quarterback not only is Green Bay one of the best running teams over the last three seasons with AJ Dillon and with um Aaron Jones but they have very good talent around outside of that quarterback. Um, the receiver position is always the one we talk about if they don't have great receivers, but they have good receivers. And more to the point, the passing game is created by the offense. So a lot of quarterback systems, a lot of systems that have great quarterbacks, it then becomes on the quarterback to do the hard stuff, full field reads, multiple uh, option routes, things like that. Every offense has elements of that. Every offense of the NFL has elements of everything, but this is very much a point-and-shoot offense. The point of it is to de-emphasize the quarterback and what they what they have to do from a talent level and more make it about distribution of the football to guys that should be open thanks to play action, motion, RPO, and the other tricks that we use in college in order to get players open. What that requires is somebody to manage the run game as the quarterback. There's one thing we know about Sean Clifford. He is magnificent before the snap. He's understanding what he's seeing. He's adjusting and he's putting his team in the best position to succeed. They like his athleticism to go with Jordan Love. He's not the most dynamic, but then again, neither is Jordan Love. So you can run a similar offense. And uh, when it comes to being able to distribute the football to obviously open receivers, Sean Clifford's great at that. Like he, you know, I think he improved under pressure his final season. He kind of rectified that narrative, even if I've been beating that drum too much personally, that he isn't good under pressure because most quarterbacks are not. But, you know, when it comes to decision making post snap, trying to f- read the field and, and see things clearly, he has not elevated his game 
to an NFL level at that point, but he can do all the other things. So if you've got a guy that's running a play action wheel and uh, he's motioned before the snap and it's supposed to break the defense's rules and Clifford can see it and throw it, he'll hit it. So that's kind of what they're getting in Green Bay. He can be a complimentary backup to Jordan Love. And who knows? Like, literally, who knows? That's the whole point about this whole Brock Purdy thing is you bring in a Sean Clifford who's 25 years old in July. He's maybe a fully formed starter. And you get a fifth-round quarterback to start for your team, making up for the fact that you traded for Jordan Love and all the drama that's gone with that. You picked him in the first round and all the stuff there. So that's a long-winded answer of why it's a good fit for Clifford and it's a good fit for the Packers, even if it is a surprise that he was drafted in the fifth round when maybe his services were more realistically in another draft seventh. And I think it's a good fit for him in that Green Bay after Aaron Rodgers out, there's not a lot of depth at quarterback. There's an opening there for him to make the team. Yeah, 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 absolutely. A fifth round quarterback is going to make the team. That's not, I don't think that's as much the question. The question then is like, um, is he going to have to see the field? Jordan Love is not a guaranteed product. And because of that lack of depth, like that's what I'm wondering is like, is the Jordan Love thing going to work? Because if the Jordan Love thing isn't going to work, then you're going to say, well, what about a rookie quarterback from Penn State if you're a Packers fan? So, you know, it, it it could advance very quickly. Or Jordan Love's a franchise quarterback. All of that's going to be determined this fall. So it, even in that, it, it's a good situation for Clifford. He doesn't, he's not the third string guy who's not going to make the roster. We're talking more about how quickly can he get up to speed and provide uh, a backstop for Jordan Love, who, by the way, and I tweeted this out almost immediately, is three and a half months younger than Clifford. He's been in the NFL for three years. <laughs> Which is really fascinating. But there are worse things in the world, T. Frank, than being the backup to a franchise quarterback. There yeah. are worse yeah. things in the world than that. There, there really are. Okay, as long as we're talking quarterbacks, let's talk Will Levis. And it was fascinating to watch the uh, draft dynamics. And even if you watch the, the betting lines on, there was this late rush that, oh, Will Levis might end up being the first pick or the second pick. He ends up sliding to the second round. I'll ask you the same question. Were you surprised that he slid? And how's the fit for him at Tennessee? I'm not surprised that he slipped um, because we've talked about what Will Levis is on this show before. We did a whole comparison episode on Clifford and Levis and how the perception around Levis is different than the reality of what he did. Um, so last season and the NFL can be a little bit myopic and caught in the moment. He didn't have a good 2023, uh, 2022, excuse me. He was injured. He lost his offensive coordinator. He lost a lot of the weapons. And the, uh, the, the answer then is he did not elevate the players around him. And that's true. Uh, I, uh, it's hard for quarterbacks to do that. <laughs> you know, like it's, it is hard to do that when you change so much. Now, Will Levis has been through a lot of systems. Like he and Clifford have both been through a lot of offensive systems. But the one in 2021 suited his skills better. A lot of read option, a lot of what I just described about the Packers is uh, what he was doing with with tennis with uh, with Kentucky in 2021. Literally, that guy came from St. Louis or St. Louis, geez, from L.A. His offensive coordinator came from the L.A. Uh, Rams. So that system is what uh, I think was a was a good fit. He's going to Tennessee. The good news here is they are not going to ask him to be the guy that I described earlier of put everything on your back and make plays. They have Derrick Henry. 
They committed to the run game. They got Peter Skaronsky in the first round. I think they got another offensive lineman. Yeah, Jalen Duncan out of uh, Maryland, who's, who's a talented player himself. A lot of physical tools there. So they're going to build through the running game. My concern with this fit is that they like a vertical passing attack. So it's run, 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 bomb. Run, 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 deep shot. And Will's decision-making and accuracy on deep balls is either take your breath away or take the ball away. And there's the, it's very difficult for him to really be consistent there. So he's got to work on that consistency. The thing he does well is he distributes the ball and makes quick decisions in those structured passing attacks that we talked about earlier. They need to incorporate that. Now, they have Malik Willis on the roster, and they have Will Levis. Both those guys are mobile quarterbacks. So are they going to fold in more of the read option game, put Derrick Henry in that situation, and accentuate with the legs of Will Levis? I think that's pretty likely. I think that that evolution makes a lot of sense for Tennessee, who can then triple down on the run game and then throw when they want to. If they make that pivot, that's good. But they don't have good receivers anymore. They traded away A.J. Brown. That was very stupid. And every, the coaching staff knew that was stupid. That's why the administration, the, the GM is no longer there. So they've got to find uh, reliable targets for him because he's not a guy that's going to elevate his team. Um, so I think it's a good position for him to be in pending some of the things we just talked about. Let's hit one of the other players. Uh, let's go to the second round. Brenton Strange to Jacksonville in the second round. Surprised some people. Although yeah. I will say we as Penn State fans who saw him play every week were probably more impressed with him than a national audience. What did you think? And were you surprised he went in the second round? How good a fit is Jacksonville? I thought it was a bit of a reach. I, I'm not, you know how I love Brenton Strange in his game. I think high second round was a bit of a reach. And this is kind of the bias, the school bias, I think, is, is very clear. Joey Porter Jr., not a first round corner, but Brenton Strange, despite some flaws in his game and some uh, lack of film of being a real consistent downfield threat, he's a second round pick for sure because he's a Penn State tight end. Those, uh, those cliches and, and those stereotypes, the NFL seems to not care about stereotypes. So uh, all of that aside, it is an interesting fit because they have Evan Ingram and now they have Brenton Strange, who's the biggest tight end on the roster at 247 or second biggest. So he's going to be their Y tight end. He's going to be their inline Dallas Goddard. And that's what Doug Peterson is trying to replicate is Dallas Goddard, Zach Ertz. I'm a little concerned that Brenton Strange isn't a traditional inline tight end. And despite the fact that I think he's one of the best blockers to come out of here, that he might not have just physically the ability to do some of the things they're going to ask him to do. Uh, but that being said, his job is to catch passes, to be play action. And I think he'll have more of an opportunity than he did at Penn state to do something he can do, which is run down the seam. I think this is the projection of his role at Penn state is not all that he was. I think that's fair. I probably lean too much on the H back move thing based on what he was doing and not what he can do. Um, so that's a good fit because Doug Peterson's a smart coach and I will, I'll leave it at that, that he'll find a way to use both those tight ends very well. Very good T Frank. We're going to catch up with more Penn state players in quarter number four, but first your questions. And we ask T Frank, stay tuned for that. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 tailgate club here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. 
Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. He is T. Frank Carr. I'm Jim Galante. This is quarter number three, which means it's time for Ask T. Frank. This is where we take your questions. We ask them of T. Frank. At the end, he'll pick out a best question. They will be the winner of our 409 Tailgate Club prize pack. Go to 409tailgateclub.com if you want to see all of their great products, including their new coffee barbecue rubs, which are fantastic. All right, T. Frank, let's start here with Rob in Columbus, Georgia, and I promise you, you are going to love this question. You ready? I'm bracing myself, if that helps. Yes. Okay, here's what Rob has to say. T. Frank, what could the Packers have seen in Sean Clifford to draft him? I thought he was a long shot to even be picked up for camp as a free agent. These guys are pros. So what the heck? Just a bad pick, or are the rest of us missing something? Don't get me wrong. Sean will forever have a place in Nittany Lion lore. But dang. Yeah, so Rob, I agree. I felt similarly based on uh, probably too many years of evidence, probably knowing too much about Sean Clifford. Uh, we, we covered in the, in, the, in the previous segment about his intelligence, his ability to manage the offense. Like this is, this is a game manager offense. That's what this is. So I think 60, I was thinking about it and I was really thinking like, okay, what I know about the Packers, what I know about this Kyle Shanahan, uh, Matt LaFleur offense, because Matt LaFleur is the head coach and offense coordinator. He comes from uh, San Francisco and Kyle Shanahan's system. Jimmy Garoppolo is an average-ish quarterback that they made look very good. So it's about put it like just throw the ball where we tell you to at certain times. But like if Clifford is ever the starter and he is faced with third and seven, you can't use those things that I described to execute. You have to at certain at a certain point play quarterback the traditional way without any of the other 
additives. And that part, I think the evaluation we've done on Sean Clifford is still valid. Like he is not going to succeed or ha- he's, he's going to face a lot of adversity in those situations. He's not a franchise quarterback. So uh, I think a fifth round to a seventh round, there is, I think there's obviously a difference in value, but a day three pick on a guy that you think can come in and operate a hundred percent of your offense and can operate 65% of it well. And then the other, you know, you you're, you're on third and seven anyway, like you, you have been put in a bad situation to begin with. So what he's able to do there, I think we've seen that be hit or miss with him. And that's always been the problem is he never gained more consistency in that area. But, you know, looking at the totality of the picture, I don't want to completely throw away what they what they uh, see in Clifford and his fit in their system. So um, they're very smart people that are in the draft that are these these coaches and and they make good decisions for the most part. It's gotten much better at drafting. So I, I don't want to say that they made a huge mistake. I think that they're taking a calculated approach to backup quarterback. Okay, let's move on. Here's a fun question. This is Tony from Philadelphia. He says, a wave of a magic wand means that UT Frank must choose between being Penn State's offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator for the upcoming season. Which one would you choose and why? Perhaps making Jim the assistant coordinator might help. <laughs> I doubt that last part, Tony. If, if if you became coordinator, T. Frank, and hired me as your assistant coordinator, if I were the head coach, I'd fire you for hiring me. But anyway, <laughs> you got your choice. <laughs> Offense or defensive coordinator? What are you taking? Uh, this is a tough one, honestly, because being a defensive coordinator is a kind of a thankless job in college football. You know, I, I've Nate Bowers talked about this all the time on our show where he says, your job is to get one extra stop. You know, you're giving up 30 points. So just that's, that's the reality. Um, but in terms of like my personal skill set, I know more about defense. I would say like, I feel like I have a better grasp of defensive philosophy and coverage schemes and usage patterns and all of those things. Um, one of my areas of weakness, I would say, is route combinations on offense and understanding like how to build an offensive play. So just being completely transparent about my skills, where I have strengths and weaknesses, like I'm not a coach and I've done I've dedicated my life to learning about this stuff. But there are still areas where I am not a you know, I don't know everything about everything about football. So my strengths, I would say, lie on the defensive side of the ball and I would be a defensive coordinator except that I'd want to be on the offense because it's, I want to say it's easier, but there's more success on that side of the ball. You score points more regularly than you prevent points. (laughs) Well, how about the personnel that's available to you? Would the uh, talent on that defense tempt you more than the talent that's on the offense? Yeah, I like creativity. I would love to be able to toy around with how to use Abdul Carter and how to use five pass. Can I get five pass rushers on the field? Can I put those guys in a situation where they're going to succeed because they're just overwhelming? Um, so that I think would be fun. And kind of even on, on the back end of that, like how do we cover up for some of our deficiencies? How do we mitigate those players from being put in a bad situation? So I think that the creativity of that would also be uh, fun for me because I understand it a little bit better. I know the rules a little bit better on the defensive side of the ball. So then I can play with them a little bit more than I do on the offensive side with, again, 
traditional route combinations and, and things like that. Okay, let's go to Brad and Percasy. He says, Nick Saban talks about rat poison, typically meaning something the media is saying will not be an issue, but because it's talked about as uh, such, it goes to the player's head and becomes an issue. What position group or groups on Penn State are most at risk of eating the rat poison? I won't admit to knowing them on because that's a personal level thing. That's an understanding the the personality of the players that you know are in those positions. Maybe receiver. I, I would just say receiver because this is again we're going with cliches, and I hate cliches, but receivers tend to be a little bit more emotionally fluid and not as locked in in, in a kind of a traditional. What like, you're saying is they they've turned into prima donnas. Uh, yeah, I hate again, I hate using cliches, but if if there's a position where the the shoe fits, it might be at at that position. And then the the other position might be on the other on the downside corner, you know, having short memory, not we saw and, and I, I don't want to single him out for this every single time, but Daquan Hardy didn't adjust well to the defense last year. And confidence at corner is the number one thing when you have all the talent because he's a talented football player. You know, his skill set is very specific, but it's very talented. And that crisis of what what looked like and played out on the field as a crisis of faith in himself uh, really changed his season. So on a negative side from reading the press clippings and rat poison and blah, blah, blah. The other side is people are saying how bad you are and then you might believe it. And at corner, that's a problem. You know, that's a that's a big problem because it's not just that you give up a play. It's that you probably give up a play that gives up 30, 40 yards. See, I'll take it a different way. I'll go with the offensive line. And here's why they've been uh, down for so long and all of a sudden they're being praised. And I'm not sure there's potential there. I'm not sure they've earned that praise yet. <laughs> I don't want them listening to the media saying they've you know, made that big jump yet, do it on the field first. I hope they're not listening to the praise. All right, let's go to, let's see, Sandy in Lancaster, who says, we keep hearing that the coaches are still looking for wide receivers in the portal. Is this just more indication that there's still a lack of confidence in the current group? Yes, yes, I would say, I would say so. James Franklin tried to walk a very fine line on uh, his exit interview out of spring football after the blue-white game, where he said, I think we have the talent to do it. I think we got the guys in the room, but it's not a competition. The, the, the meaning of competition that somebody loses, and if he's got six players that he thinks have the talent to be uh, contributors this fall, but there's nobody pushing them, that there is the reality that there's a seventh guy that isn't going to play, that's, that's the whole nature of this. And part of that, I think, is you missed on some guys in the winter portal that you wanted, you know, that went to other schools and not to say Malik McLean was a mistake or that he was, uh, you know, they didn't know what they were getting, but that was the, that was the thing with Malik McLean was very talented, still hasn't done it yet. And when you're in the portal looking for guys that have done it and guys that can come in and immediately be the guy. Now you've got a, you've got a project who can still be very good and can still, you know, in 2024 bring you really big plays but you don't have it now and you don't have people pressing now. I also think that it's specific to, they've got a lot of guys that can operate in the slot. 
You know, that's that's not a problem. What's the problem is the thing that James Franklin was harping on again at the beginning of spring football is we need a guy to catch it and go 80. And it's easier to do that on the outside. He specifically talked about it of like, uh, you know, on the perimeter, it's easier to catch a ball, break a tackle and go 80. We need more of those guys. Then you see in the spring during the blue white game, Keandre Lambert Smith, their number one receiver lining up in the slot. You've got guys. Amari Evans is a second year player who's in his literal second year of playing receiver. He's one of the guys they're they're relying on as an outside receiver. They need more boundary receivers. You know, even even another guy, Harrison Wallace, that separated himself and was a clear part of the conversation, I think, is the Z. He's not a proven commodity. They have zero proven commodities outside of Keandre Lambert Smith. So, yes, I think it is it is a comment on the guys they have on the roster, but also the lack of overall experience for this group and bringing in um, uh, Dante Cephas here in a couple of days at this point. That's going to help. But you'd like another guy for sure, you know, on the outside that has that skill set. So I think they're looking, but they're not going to upset the apple cart to an extreme extent if they don't find it. They're not going to force something because they still do have talented players at the position. And would like to see some of that potential actually become something. I think when you talk about Malik McLean, he was so highly thought of coming out of high school. He has the peripherals, the size. Remember, we all love Caden Saunders coming out of high school and, you know, thought he would get onto the field very quickly. That hadn't happened yet. So it's, can you translate that potential into reality? Who knows T Frank, right? Yeah. And that's, that's where people have last year with Caden Saunders, where people were, were begging for him to be a part of the conversation. There are so many ancillary parts of being a person outside of being a quarter, a receiver or a football player that come into how you produce on the field. And, you know, part of that, I I also struggle with having a real concept of like homesickness affects your performance, Um, you know, not really grasping the transition or the work necessary to become that guy also affects your performance. And a lot of that is immaturity that personality comes into play too. So that's what they know they're working with the coaching staff and what we have some idea, but don't really fully understand. Very good T Frank. That's it for quarter number three, stick around quarter number four. We'll name our winner. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 tailgate club here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, 
local information from Penn State's hometown website, statecollege.com. Trust statecollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. We headed to the home stretch in quarter number four on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It's our fourth and final quarter. I'm Jim. He's T. Frank. T. Frank, we need a winner from our Ask T. Frank segment. Who's it going to be? I love portal questions that I can actually answer. So the theory behind receiver with Sandy wanting to know why they're still looking for receiver and what that could mean. Absolutely slam dunk, you know, because that actually informs what's going on, what they're actually the, the end result is the player, but the philosophy behind it, the reasoning behind it is what Sandy's asking. And I think that's really the, the conversation. Very good. We'll be getting in touch with you, Sandy. Okay. T Frank. Let's get back to the Penn Staters who were in the NFL draft. A lot of surprises, a lot of players to get to. We talked about the quarterback, not just Penn State's, but also Will Levis. We talked about Brenton Strange. Let's go to the other player in the uh, second round, Juice Scruggs Mm -hmm. to Houston. I'll tell you what, it was a surprise in many ways because it was uh, Juice Scruggs going that high. It was also a surprise to me for a center who wasn't considered, you know, all world at center getting drafted that highly. Again, and they traded up did for it him. Surprise? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so they yes. they very much targeted him. Yeah. This is where, and I've already had people tell me that I'm disrespecting Juice here. I love Juice. Having talked to him and having a you know the the a fraction of a relationship with him, he is a great guy. He is everything you want to root for in a person. So none of this is directed at him. He's done everything he's supposed to do. I've come on here and I've said he is going to be an NFL starter in the future. That being said, there is a game to the draft, and some people just love to say I don't like the game, and then they uh, brazenly ignore the rules to the game. But if you don't play the game, you lose. And the lo- the loss here is draft capital. Other players to play with Juice, who are also good. Could you have gotten Juice in the third or fourth round? Third round, almost guaranteed. Fourth round, maybe. So trading up into the second was a little ridiculous. And it was, for, for a guy, you know, the consensus. It's not about, like, just who is good at football. It's also about the, the consensus and who's going to go where and, and who values what. And I've been saying for a while, starting centers usually go in the fourth or fifth round unless you're something special. And then you go in the first or second. And again, I think Juice has a lot of qualities that are really good, but he is not an overwhelming talent in terms of physical domination or some of those things you'd expect from a guy going in the in the second round. So is it a reach? Yes. Is it Juice's fault? No, not at all. Like he's going to go and he's going to play well. He'll probably play up to the level of that pick of, of being where he was, but to trade up for him and the capital it took to get him a center just by their positional value can't bring you that. So Houston is dumb and juice is good. And that's how that worked out. (laughs) Okay. And it's, um, 
<laughs> fascinating to me that the way you put it. But the other thing note I always have with Juice Scruggs is as a Penn State fan, and obviously you watch him every week in the fall, is you didn't hear his name very often, which is actually a compliment to an offensive lineman because you usually hear about them when they make a mistake. So I, I think as Penn State fans, we're all really happy for him, especially coming off of a serious car accident to come back the way he has. It is fantastic story. Speaking of stories, mm-hmm. great one is Joey Porter going to the Pittsburgh Steelers where his father played. Mm-hmm. Not so great part of the story is this was a guy who everyone just assumed would go in the middle of the first round which is where most people had him projected to going to the Steelers with, what was it, the 16th or 17th pick, something yeah. like that. Uh, did you have a problem with him dropping to the second round? Uh, so he dropped to 32. So, uh, I mean, we're, we're smallest violin crying over spilled milk here. Um, but I do think, like, there were, f- I think there were five corners that went ahead of him. And this is where I talked about I talked about this on Twitter. So like it's not like this is a secret. I think that there's a little bit of a bias against Penn State defensive backs. Um because as much as I said Brenton Strange is a good player, he's going to be a very good pro, I had him a little bit lower than the second round, but he's a Penn State tight end and you be- you trust those guys. You believe in those guys because they've produced. Penn State defensive backs have zero history in the NFL. So okay, we're going to take the guy that runs a 4-2 uh from Maryland over Joey Porter Jr. even though he has I think appreciably worse tape in terms of what he's actually good at on the football field. Is Joey perfect? No, he didn't do any of the agility testing, which should tell you it's probably not great, but in a, uh, what they got in, in Pittsburgh where he's a, he's going to be a single high corner, which means predominantly cover one and cover three, where he's either taking a man and, and eliminating that side of the field, or he's taking a zone, a third of the deep field. And he's covering that. He can get better in his deep third coverage. That was one area where, you know, against Ohio State, Marvin Harrison Jr. running a deep in, catches the ball on him because he doesn't trigger downhill fast enough. Um, but I also don't think he's bad there. He's he's made some good plays in zone coverage, but he is predominantly that cover one. So a cover one team was going to target and prioritize him. But apparently they like speed over length. And that's, you know, where he's running a four, four, seven. And I think he's got good recovery speed, which is probably another bias against him because he's six, two with 34 inch arms. Doesn't look like a guy that can recover as well. But I he does. He does recover pretty well when he makes mistakes. So um, is he too grabby? Does he not tackle? Yeah, all those things are valid. But when you want a guy that can lock a guy up at the line of scrimmage, play with physicality, play with good hip movement and swivel. I think that's the guy you're just not going to have him running around with Tyreek Hill. You're going to focus him on guys he can cover. So in Pittsburgh, they've made a shift to playing more man coverage, blitzing and being aggressive. He's he's going to be a Manny Diaz's defense. Like, it's going to be fine. He's going to be a good fit there. And I like the story of staying local, playing in Pittsburgh where his father played. And by the way, you mentioned about the cornerback. It's interesting. Christian Gonzalez, I don't recall ever watching the guy play but he seemed to be a consensus top 10 pick and that yeah. didn't happen. So again, there's, you know, uh, different folks have different evaluations or different things they're looking for in the um, third round. Jair Brown went to San Francisco. I'm a huge, huge Jair Brown fan. 
I know he doesn't test well. He's not the fastest guy in the world, but I just think he's a football player. So he's going to be going into a very interesting situation. You know, I make these allegories where, you know, press man coverage, tight coverage and blitzing. So Joey Porter Jr. is going to Pittsburgh, which is going to make sense. Um, Tig Brown is basically going to be in the Prowler package full time in the NFL. So the the San Francisco 49ers have a very interesting defense where they've gone to a two, like basically a nickel base package. They have three good linebackers that they play against heavy run fronts. But more of what their base package actually is, is a third safety on the field. Last year, that was Jimmy Ward, who was a, formerly one of their, their deep free safety. They moved him down into the slot, um, and he is basically a nickel corner. So he played in, in zone coverage. That means you cover a lower flat in the field. Before, they had a guy named K1 Williams, who was a slot corner and could blitz really well. I think Tig is going to do more of that than what Jimmy Ward did last season, which was they used him in man coverage on slot receivers. If they ask Tig to do that, like he is a 4-6 safety. He is not a 4-4 guy like Jimmy Ward. So I think they're going to go more zone coverage and they're going to ask him to do things he was good at at Penn State. So it's a good fit. I'm a little disappointed. I wanted to see him in one of those roles where he was one of those two high safeties where he's either rolling down into the box or he's rolling back into deep coverage because one of his best skills was reading, reacting, and catching the football and intercepting the football as a deep free safety. He won't have any of that responsibility in this defense unless they evolve it and they say all three of these guys can play any three of these positions and then he can kind of rotate in that deep safety. So that's the only thing that I think the caveat of how they specifically use him in this defense and what they call. If he's asked to line up against Tyler Lockett in the slot, that's a problem. If he's asked to be a zone guy that blitzes and covers in the flat and uses his instincts to break on the ball, I think Tig could be an all rookie player, you know, but it is very much how they use him because his skills are not universal. I would think that they know what they're getting because yep. it's a unique skill set, and I think they'll play to their strengths, or I hope they will anyway. Uh, Parker Washington is the other uh, uh, Penn Stater who got drafted. He went sixth round to Jacksonville. I'm a huge Parker Washington fan, but I think especially because of that injury, he would have benefited for coming back another year. How does he fit in in Jacksonville? This is an area where I think I'm concerned the most for um, for Parker because this is this is a, a group of players that kind of already have his skill set and, and this is, it'll be interesting to see how they use him because they traded for Calvin Ridley and they have a, a couple of other guys. This is a deep roster, but last year Ace Sanders was their slot receiver, their predominant slot receiver. He did he didn't play very well. So if Parker is lining up in the slot and he's a slot receiver and he just plays slot receiver, that that bam, fine. But they've got a lot of position specific guy or position versatile guys in this offense. I'm sorry. I'm looking at the wrong year. That's very embarrassing. I knew that was wrong. Um, let's see. Let's redo this year. Yeah. Christian Kirk and Evan Ingram and Zay Jones split the time in the slot last year. That makes way more sense than what I was saying. I was looking at the wrong year. Christian Kirk is a slot receiver. Parker Washington is a slot receiver. So like he's already behind a guy who plays inside outside. Um, are they going to change how they use these guys or is he going to be a depth player? So, you know, he's a long-term play. I think it's a good fit, but it's not going to be one where he steps in and plays. In my opinion, they've got Marvin Jones. They've got Zay Jones, Christian Kirk, Evan Ingram, and Brenton strange, Travis Etienne. They've got a lot of pass catching options, which is great for the quarterback, but as a fifth round pick, 
Is he guaranteed a spot on the roster? I don't necessarily see that he's guaranteed a spot on the roster. I think he can be a part of the special teams, you know, like punt return. That's something we saw him do at Penn State. I don't think he's exceptionally dynamic, but he is a guy that you can catch punts and get 10 yards, which that's a big part of it too. So I would say it's my least, it's my most concerning fit of all of these guys because the depth in front of him and the guys that are well-paid, Christian Kirk got a lot of money to come there and he is 75% of the time lining up the slot. So what's left for Parker? Real quickly, among the undrafted free agents, any one of them do you think will be a factor? Jonathan Sutherland and uh, Chris Stoll going to Seattle. Both those guys, special teams roles, special teams starters. So that's where I would start with those guys in terms of, I thought they were starters in the NFL on special teams. It's just those guys don't get drafted. Unless you're the New England Patriots, and once again, you don't care about the draft game, and you draft a kicker and a punter in like the third and fifth round, and you just ignore the norms. So special teams, long snappers, not necessarily uh, prioritized on draft day. So I would say those two guys specifically going to Seattle and filling special teams roles. I think that's great, especially with um, when you're looking at Jonathan Sutherland, his defensive flexibility. I think they'll be able to use that pretty well. They've shown they can use guys in the middle of the field in versatile ways. I like that. Very good T Frank. That is it for our show. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you join us next time on the Keystone kickoff show. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new Coffee Barbecue Dry Rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love.